Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's conversation with Brian Kloss uh, of Brandywine Global's Global Fixed Income Team. I'm Katie Klingensmith, and I'm delighted to host this conversation as part of our Around the Curve podcast series. Brian, there's been so much going on in credit and fixed income markets. And you know, before we dry, dive into what's going on you know, in different parts of credit markets, I'd love to just get your sense of what the Fed meeting last week meant and your general outlook for rates at this point. Uh, absolutely. And it's always good to, to be here with everybody today. Uh, the Fed's meeting last week and again, all the comments that come out after it and everybody that spilled all the ink writing about it over the weekend, it's really continues to be data dependent. As we sit here and think about both headline inflation as well as core inflation and what the task is for the Fed as we move forward. Um, that's really going to be the challenge as we sit here and think about it. And one of the challenges the Fed's going to have as we go forward though is core's going to start to come down slowly, but we also know historically that core inflation is very difficult to break and takes a lot longer. Headline has rolled, but unfortunately, it looks like in the shorter term, we're actually going to see a little bit of upward pressure due to some energy prices on, on headline. So I think what it really comes back to, and, and this isn't a great answer, Katie, it really comes back to the Fed's still data dependent. And one has to start thinking about whether or not it may take a little bit longer for this to flow through and to see the Fed actually break inflation. And the key that investors need to look at the investors really need to look at the labor market as we move forward. And that still seems to be very resilient at this point in time. So a lot of uncertainty, a lot of big questions, a lot of potential for the Fed to harm economic activity, yet investment grade spreads remain remarkably narrow. What, what's going on with spreads? Spreads, I think that's uh, one of the questions that we continue to, to look at around the table as we talk with our, 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 our within our own group here at Brandywine. Uh, one of the issues that we think about, and it's not just IG, it's also high yield. These have been very resilient all year. But I think if we think about the two different inputs into spreads, or I'm not exactly sure that's the right way to say it, but let's think about it this way. Let's think about a spread component and also think about the absolute yield. And so what's really happened this year is you repriced that underlying risk-free asset, the treasury, which we reprice everything off of. And having moved that up, again, just think about where the Fed funds is or where it will end up towards the end of the year, we're going to end up, we just did 75, potential for another 75 in December. On top of the 75s we did before that, we're going to end up close to 5% terminal Fed funds rate. That's a significant repricing. And one could argue that much of the spread risk that we talk about has actually been embedded in that for the time being. Now, we won't see the spread risk widening or, or that risk of it widening dramatically until we actually see the risk to the underlying credit conditions. And that's still going to play out. And if you think about it from that um, sort of that earnings recession that people like to talk about, that may not be until maybe the second or third quarter or, or even that second half of 2023. So in the meantime, it's probably stable. A little bit of timing here, if you think about seasonality, a little bit of that famous Santa Claus rally that people talk about, as well as those 401k allocations could be a little bit into that risk appetite for the shorter period. But again, I think investors really need to think about what does it look like as we end 2023 and move into 2024? So that gets you to that, that spreads being a little bit more behaved, but only because we've already repriced the risk underlying risk-free asset for the shorter term here. 
All right, well, let's talk about the difference in spreads between high yield and investment grade. Um, there has been a, a little bit more widening uh, on the high yield side. Mm-hmm. Why yes. does that make for opportunities? Are you worried about that? I, I think as credit investors, we always have to be worried about it. I mean, we always think as credit investors that the glass is half empty. Uh, it's very different than that equity view of the world where you can argue it's half full and it's actually going to have those um, in- incredible growth opportunities from the equity uh, perspective. Here, we have to continue to always worry about the downside risks and where, where the risk is of getting paid back. Now, as we think about the opportunity set, though, uh, we're, we're investors and we always think that there's an investment opportunity somewhere. It's really about the allocation decisions and where you want to allocate that capital. So even in the lower quality risk spectrum that you're talking about in those spread instruments, we still think that there's really attractive opportunities, especially in what we would argue is a quality type of company, not necessarily by ratings, but a high quality company with strong asset protection and a solid business model and a capital structure that we believe um, can withstand the next, uh, call it, I don't know, 24, 36 months as we move through this very challenged environment. And with that being said, we think investors should really be focusing on specific security selection as well as that asset allocation within um, that that quality spectrum that you're talking about. So whether it's low quality IG, high quality, high yield, uh, really focus on that type of uh, thought process about where you want to deploy your capital into 23 and into 24. And we think given that, should actually expect some pretty attractive returns if you can withstand the volatility over that two-year period. Yeah, two to three years. Um, that's a, a long time to be thinking about this. And I heard you mention earnings recession, but not yes. defaults. We haven't seen an uptick in defaults. Are you worried about that? Or do you think you can pick the good ones that don't face those risks? Well, as, as a credit manager, we do believe we can make good uh, security selections that would minimize your default risk. I don't think anybody can sit here and say that they're not going to have some type of credit risk in a, in a portfolio. Um, there's always going to be one of those names that creates a little bit of havoc. But I think if you think about it from a fundamental perspective, and again, we're talking about the public markets here, uh, the public markets don't really have a significant maturity wall in front of them. And so as you think about what actually causes a default, a default is generally caused by a missed principal payment, uh, missed interest payment or, or some type of breach of a covenant. And given that we don't have a significant maturity wall over the next two years, the likelihood of a significant default wave is very unlikely in the public markets. Uh, as you start to think about credit risk, there probably is credit risks within the broader market. If you think about the low quality credit spectrum, because that's where you're going to have your ultimate credit risk. That lower quality of the market is uh, quite sizable. If you think about the public high yield markets, 1.2, 1.4 trillion. Um, Over the past 10 years, the private market has grown as large, if not larger than that. And so you think that in this entire market, if you put it all together, we are going to see some type of credit issues. It's just a matter of timing. Um, One of the challenges is going to be if the Fed pivots and there's more liquidity put back into the market in two years, maybe that volatility and and that credit risk that we're, we're alluding to Maybe that doesn't get recognized at this point in time. Well, you mentioned the word that I wanted to talk about. Uh, there have been a lot of concerns about lack of liquidity in different parts of the fixed income market, even treasury markets. Yes. Are you finding this challenging and how does it affect what, what you're interested in? 
No, I think that that's a very fair question. And people need to, and, and again, when I say people, investors really need to ask that question. And it's an important, just as important as thinking about your asset allocation, your actual underlying fundamental investment decision. So we're always thinking about the liquidity uh, profile of the underlying investments that we've allocated to. And yes, we, we do see that there are some challenges and stresses in the market. But again, with a focus and making sure that we allocate to what we believe are securities that offer us the best liquidity profile. And again, not trying to uh, prompt, nobody's going to promise anything, but allocating to those securities that we believe offer the best liquidity. I, I think that's what you really want to focus on uh, when, when you're thinking about sort of these, these public markets. Again, private markets are very different. That liquidity profile is something that you would assess when you're making that original asset allocation decision, especially given that many of those vehicles are locked up for five, six, seven years, just depending on what the underlying terms are. And that's a decision that should be made when you're making that allocation. We're making the decision as we're allocating in the public markets to what securities we believe offers the best profile for our clients. Absolutely. And this just wasn't that big of a concern even a year ago. So with all this said, in the US, um, do you, are you feeling like there are more opportunities in the investment grade of the high yield space right now? As I think about it, it's probably on the cusp of where those two inter intersect. I think there's probably some uh, high double Bs, if you'd want to use quality by rating agencies as a barometer uh, relative to low quality, those tri low triple Bs um, that are probably actually more attractive than the high yield. But I think when you're thinking about an overall portfolio and where, where you can find value, it's probably in that type of segment where you can ultimately uh, find, find value for uh, whatever funds you're running, whether it's endowment, whether it's mutual fund, uh, whether it's some type of uh, personal account or high net worth in individual. I think there's some really unique opportunities um, at that intersection of uh, where, where triple Bs, low triple Bs meet high double Bs, as well as uh, some select opportunities and, and low quality uh, single Bs as well. I think so far implicitly we're talking about credit opportunities in the US, but Brian, what do you see globally? You are correct. We have been talking about the U.S. Um, the U.S. continues to be probably the most liquid market at this point in time. And I think that's what we need to do. We've got to talk about that question you asked previously. What about liquidity in the markets? And so we are a global firm. We do look globally and we do believe and we have seen opportunities globally, especially in Europe and in Asia. However, as you start to think about from a fundamental perspective, it may make sense, but let's think about the liquidity profile also that we need when we're allocating uh, clients' capitals to these regions of the world. So we wanna be very careful as we start to think about that. There's significant geopolitical risks. Uh, as we know, there's a, a war in, in uh, Russia and between Russia and the Ukraine. Uh, there's a challenged relationship between uh, the US and China. Uh, we start to think about uh, some of the actions by the US administration recently. Some have may or may not have been continued from the previous administration in the US. All of those are creating opportunities for us in these regions. However, we need to balance that with the liquidity profile. And again, these markets have their own technical issues. Uh, the European market continues to be a little bit more banked on bank loan denominated versus uh, the US market, which is much more of a bond market. Uh, if you think about the, the, those types of relationships, uh, Asia continues to develop. Uh, and I think as you look out, again, very long term over the next 
call it 10, 20 years, all of these are going to be much more developed markets than we've seen in the past and provide even more opportunity than what we're seeing today. But from a valuation perspective, as you start to look at um, those European credits, again, tr- historically haven't traded this way, but I'd trade it actually wide of the US. Um, and, and similarly, we've had uh, a, a significantly significant widening in Asian uh, corporate credit at this point in time. Um, again, I think we need to be a little bit nuanced there because uh, again, the policies coming out of the third millennium here could be uh, a little bit more challenge for some of those sectors versus um, the others. And what I mean by that is um, the housing sector in China may become more of a, a state-owned enterprise and state-sponsored as opposed to the private sector that it had been uh, previously. And so you want to be very careful about where the potential winners and losers are going to be in, in the sectors. And so um, tech could still be a, a, a positive in, in Asia, while housing could be a little bit more stre- stressed at this point in time. Brian, are there any particular sectors that you're looking at? Well, let's start with sectors and then back it into something else here, Katie. So sectors, we still are constructive on the energy and commodity space. Um, as we look forward and we look at what CapEx has been invested across the space, uh, we look at the needs as we move forward globally towards a, a greener economy. Um, we think that that space is still very attractive. Look, it may not be the double digit returns that it would have been in 15 or 16 or where some of the stress uh, investments are today. But we think ultimately it's a very um, attractive space, uh, should have low vol, and we think it could have uh, very strong returns. Um, in addition, I think there's um, some sectors such as uh, healthcare that could be somewhat interesting. That one might be a little bit more nuanced there, and, and, and that could be a little bit more debatable depending on how uh, and, and other investors view it. But I, I think ultimately that, that could be something that's attractive as well as uh, maybe some of the more reopening trades that have gotten beat up a little bit. Uh, gaming and airlines, uh, again, they had a very good strong recovery as we got through the vaccines and we had a reopening, but there was a little bit of a, a sell-off there. And to some extent that then provides an opportunity. Again, maybe Again, we're not there quite yet on this, but if you start to think about um, home builders, that could be a sector. And again, all of this is really going to be driven by this monetary policy that we started our conversation with today and what that path is and what the consequences are going to be of that policy. And it's not just the U.S. Fed's uh, monetary policy. It's also the ECBs, the BOEs, and what the new policies are going to be coming out of the um, uh, PBOC, as well as the social policies that he is going to follow in his third term to, uh, that we, that he was just recently appointed to. There's a lot to watch in the world right now. Well, just a last couple of macro questions to bring it together. Uh, we started this conversation talking about how there is still a lot expected um, from the Fed, a lot more rate hikes. How are you thinking about spread duration and when to potentially add it? I think ultimately our team is constructive on spread duration. However, I think we're also very cognizant that uh, we're nowhere near, or I would say actually probably a little bit closer than we were yesterday, but we're still nowhere near where ultimately the Fed's going to settle out. So we do understand that there really are risks. We're never going to be able to call the tops or bottoms and spreads, but what we need to do is assess what the risk is relative to the information risk that's out there 
Um, and that, so as we put it in our parlance sitting around our investment table, it's valuation risk versus information risk. And so as the valuations have widened, it becomes much more attractive. And so as we sit here today, um, we path or, or we, we, we think about those paths that the Fed can take. We want to gradually continue to add into uh, spread duration. And the way we want to do that is we want to start with what we would view as those entities that don't have as much risk. And as we get more comfortable, we can then, in theory, layer on more additional, quote, risky spread risk into a portfolio as we have more confidence in what this path looks like and how the recession is going to play out. We are all data dependent. So just leave us with some final thoughts about how you balance the opportunities that you're finding with these macro uncertainties and risks. The way we're doing it is really thinking about balancing the portfolios and our allocations to these various sectors. So again, we've got a belief that ultimately, when you have the courage of your convictions, as we like to say, you want to have a large allocation where you think that valuation anomaly exists. So today, what we're doing is managing that. So we're not, quote, all in, as investors like to say, but we do have exposure and we'll continue to rotate the exposure that we have, looking for opportunities that we think are more opportune than the existing ones. And as we have more confidence in this, we'll continue to dial up the risks within portfolios. So that's really what we're doing and how we're thinking about it, really sticking with what that philosophy and process is that we've had here at Brandywine since uh, the starting of the fixed income business in the early 90s. Thank you so much, Brian Klaus, for your participation. And thank you for everyone who has joined us today in this conversation as part of Brandywine Globals Around the Globe.